Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. The rest of you, open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're talking this morning about the power of God and how we are to rely on the power of God. There are times as Christians that we can treat Jesus, who is our King, not as um, the ruler that he is, but rather just as a figurehead, symbolic, ceremonial. You know, we'll see that on Easter or around Christmas or some other day where the king, kind of like King Charles, uh, now looks the part of royalty, but really in the government there in the UK has no vote, really has no veto power, It's kind of interesting when you look at our government, but we can treat Jesus the same way. We may pay homage to him on Sunday or uh, whether that Sunday is weekly or monthly. Um, But when it comes to making decisions, when it comes to our daily life, we treat him as if he doesn't exist or that we don't need him. Acknowledging his position without giving him the credit for the power that accompanies that position. That's where we find the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians In Paul's first letter to them, they were wrapped up into something very similar um, in their day, young church in the faith, but it's very similar to what we find in our day and time where talk is cheap. If you would stand with me as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, I want to read down to verse 20. I do not write these things to you. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were coming to you. As I, as I were not coming, excuse me. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray together. Almighty God and our Father, we've Come and gathered this morning with the expectation of your presence, your promises that are open to us in your word, and your power at work within us. Father, this is your church, and your word, your powerful word, is open before us this morning. It is my prayer that you would fill us with a sense of wonder as we give careful attention to this very word. 
Father, I pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts and that you would move with power and bring it home to our heart. For we are nothing without you. Father, this is your time. Have your way in us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, friends. I thought some of you might uh, say amen after verse 20 there and think that the sermon was over. But I'm not letting you off that easy. Kickoff not till 5.30, so we're going to stay with it this morning. Let's think about this for a moment, though. Talk is cheap. Give you some background, because we're jumping in the middle of a chapter, which is not my normal thing, but we're jumping in the middle of a chapter and want to build some context so we understand what's happening. In the Corinthian church, there had been, and worse still when he was writing this, divisions that Paul was addressing. He addressed those and called them out in chapter, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 3, and still dealing with it in chapter 4. And he's dealing here mostly with a, a man by the name of Apollos. He's mentioned several times by Paul and in the New Testament, and he's uh, he's a good guy. He's a gospel preacher, and there's really a decent case out there in academia for uh, Apollos being the author of the book of Hebrews. Uh, I don't land in that area, but that's a rabbit we're not going to chase this morning. But there's a good case for it. So he's he's a decent man. He's a godly man. He's a, he's a Jesus follower. But what was happening in the church in Corinth? isn't really Paul's fault. It's not really Apollos' fault. It's the church's fault. Because what they're doing, which is what Paul writes in earlier in chapter 1 and chapter 3, is they're saying, I follow Apollos. Others are claiming, I follow Paul. Who's better, right? Some are saying, I follow Peter or Cephas, depending on your translation. Still others are following Christ. Ah, yeah, that's the one. One out of the four was the right one, and only some of them are following the right one. But they're all claiming someone they're following. We're in this camp. We're in that camp. He spent chapter 3 discussing those divisions, that they ought not to be in the church. They ought not to be found saying that this guy follows Apollos or Paul or, or even in the Easter Bunny. The church doesn't belong to them. The church belonged to Jesus Christ. Paul and Apollos are simply the stewards of the mystery that we know as the gospel. Now, in chapter 4, Paul begins to explain the role of the apostles. Who are the apostles? Well, they were vital. They were men that were with Jesus, visibly witnessed him after the resurrection, and then went on being sent out by Jesus, carrying the gospel into the nations. Started in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Paul viewed himself as the spiritual father of the Corinthian church. Not taking the place of God the Father, but he was the one having preached the gospel. They believed while he was preaching, he felt responsible to disciple them and bring them along in their faith. Which is why he says he sent Timothy. Timothy was his right hand and Timothy was his son in the faith. He raised up Timothy to be a young pastor. We have two letters written to Timothy by Paul. We have 
the letters to the Ephesus as well, where Timothy spent some time. And so we understand Paul had this view of himself. He held that, that sense of responsibility to, to lead them and to lead them well. But they had heard the gospel from him. That's in Acts chapter 18, and so they believed. He was their spiritual father in a sense of generational evangelism, if you will, or discipleship. But the current divisions that were there didn't take Paul seriously. As chapter four continued, he really lets them have it there starting in verse eight. He says, these who are causing divisions, he says this, verse eight, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share that rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us Apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Mm. Pretty stark difference between the world of the apostle and the world of the Corinthian church. You already act like you have all that you want, like you are rich. You have become kings without us, ironically, of their own kingdoms. Verse 13, he says, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Here's the point. Paul's saying, I'm not writing this to shame you. I'm writing this to warn you because you're walking down a dangerous road. This is the warning. Talk is cheap. You're talking up a good game, but talk is cheap. Talking it up leads to two things. There's two issues with talking it up. The first one is pride. Pride is that false sense of satisfaction and security in your own achievements or your own status. It leads us to think that we don't need what God is doing because we can do this on our own. I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. I follow Peter. We don't need the others. Pride. The other issue is that it leads to self-assurance, which is a false sense of confidence in your own ability or your own character. The pride and self-assurance led those in leadership in Corinth to be puffed up like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man in their own words, in their own status. One major issue with the Corinthian church was still deep in their sin. Because of the divisions, because they're not following, wholeheartedly following Christ, they are deep and still in their sins, which Paul will get to. But one of the sins is the sin of pride and self-assurance, not submitting themselves to the lordship of Christ. Corinth, socially, culturally, Corinth of that day could be compared to uh, Las Vegas, Sin City, New York City. R really, let's get honest that we don't have to go to Vegas anymore to go to Sin City. We just walk out our door. It's anywhere, everywhere. It's on our cell phones. It's on our computers. It's out the door. It's in our homes. 
Pride and self-assurance will lead a false, to a false sense of security while leaving you in your sin. Why? Because you're not submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And when you're submitted to the Lordship of Christ, he will change you and call you out on that sin. He will point it out. He will call you to repentance. But Corinth was not that way yet. And when we're walking in pride and self-assurance of who we are and all that we can do in our own power, neither one of those portrays a follower of Jesus. And both of these major problems, they're major problems in following Jesus. And unless those two attitudes die, it will be impossible to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. So these yahoos that Paul is writing about, causing divisions in the church, they're going to be dealt with when he made the visit. And that was verse 21. Shall I come to you with a rod or with a spirit of gentleness? Which one would you prefer? I would take gentleness. But verse 20 is where he lowered the hammer one more time. He's going to examine their work. These guys who are talking. These guys who are talking a big talk, causing divisions. He's going to examine their work. He's going to examine their arrogant talk. And see if there's any power behind it. Because then he says in verse 20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The effectiveness of the one doing ministry. Church, if we're going to be effective in ministry, we have to be plugged in and connected to the power of God, which only happens when we spend time with him in prayer. And we submit ourselves to the lordship of Christ. That's the only way it's going to happen. Here's God's kingdom displayed in God's power and by God's power. Let's move forward. It's extremely important for us today. As we're in the middle of our 40 days of prayer in the next couple of weeks or so. And then beyond 40 days of prayer, we're going to start working and praying through who's our one. Looking at evangelism, how to share the gospel, how to pray for the person that God has put on our heart. And lift their name up before the Lord um, praying that they would come to Christ. That's going to be 30 days. Beyond that, we're getting into, on February 7th, launching our Tuesday night prayer service. So we are focusing on prayer. We want and desire God to move in power. But talk is cheap. But the power of God on display in his church is for his glory and his glory alone. So what does that look like? What does that look like in the church? What does that look like for people who don't know Jesus? Well, that's where it actually starts. It starts when a man who is dead in his sin and his trespasses come to life in Christ. We'll get there in just a second. First thing we have to remember is this. God has what it takes. It is God's power. If anybody could write chapter 4 and anybody could write verse 20... It was Paul. Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians, now proclaiming Jesus to the lost and called by Jesus to help establish people in Christ by proclaiming Christ. Paul knows that the preaching of Jesus Christ and him crucified is not idle chatter. It's not empty speech. It is a testimony to the Holy Spirit's transforming power in a man or a woman's heart and in their life. And for Paul, he understood God had what it, has what it takes because it's God's power, and we have to remember that truth. He is a great God with great power. 
It is one of his attributes. We call it omnipotence. Looking back over scripture, you're not going to find that word omnipotence in the English Bible, but you're going to find moments where that power is on display. Creation, where God spoke and created everything out of absolutely nothing. The flood, the plagues on Egypt, the crossing of his people through the Red Sea, water coming from the rock. We had manna and quail and that same journey through the wilderness. The giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. The fall of Jericho as Joshua led the people and the taking of the promised land. Elijah's, which is one of my favorite stories, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, 400 plus prophets of Baal, hooping and hollering and causing all kinds of hullabaloo, trying to get Baal to light the fire, and he can't get nothing done because he's not powerful. He's got nothing. And Elijah's over there sitting back in his lazy boy watching this all. You know, if he had a cell phone, he'd be capturing it. It'd be out on Instagram or TikTok or something. It'd have been breaking the internet uh, as he's given his little, uh, his little spiel about what's happening. But there he is, and all he does, what does he do? He's got water on the altar, all those things, but he simply stops and he prays. God, send the fire. He humbles himself. God, send the fire. And God consumes the altar for God's glory. That's a small, small, maybe 1% of the Old Testament of the times where God had displayed his power. Could we look into Jesus' life and say, see that same power? Absolutely. Water into wine. Calling Lazarus from the grave. We could go on and on, but what we understand, it's his power. He has the power to create. He has the power to bring down. He has the power to destroy. But he also has the power to make new and renew and to work the miraculous. He has the power and the ability to sustain the ordinary by the extraordinary because he's God and he holds all things together. He gives life. He is the one who gives life. He's the one who takes life. He is able to do all that is according to his holy will. Here's some scriptures about this. Psalm 24 verse 8. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Jeremiah 32, 17, oh Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah 32, 27, behold, God says, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Friends, God is infinite in power. It's his power, yet he will not do anything that would deny his own character. He won't lie. He won't act in an unholy or unjust or unrighteous way. And he exercises his will over all of creation. Friends, he is perfect and righteous in every way in his power. Second thing, as we say, it's his power, we have to acknowledge we don't have what it takes. It's not our power. The idle chatter of the leaders in Corinth seems to be that they're portraying themselves as having what it takes. But Paul made it abundantly clear that those who follow Jesus do not have what it takes. 
There have been attempts to imitate that power. If you look in Acts chapter 8, verse 9 and following, there was a man named Simon. Simon was a sorcerer, a magician. He had previously been working in Samaria, and with his magic, he had amazed the people of Samaria to the point that verse 9 says that the people of Samaria were saying that he himself was somebody great. This Simon guy, he's great. In verse 10, it says, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. Mm. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Friends, God's power is amazing, but it is not of man and it is not a magic trick. Now it continues that even Simon was amazed at the work of God when Philip, the evangelist, arrived on scene. And when Philip arrived on scene, what did Philip do? Did he start working tricks to get people to understand the gospel? No. That happens today in some worship services and some so-called churches where they'll put gold glitter falling from the ceiling and claim that it's the glory of God showing up with smoke. I'm not lying. Look it up on, just Google it. It's there. It's called Bethel. It's there. That's not what Philip was doing. Do you know what Philip was doing? Philip simply preached the gospel. And when he preached the gospel, God showed up and God showed off. And lives were changed. So much so that Simon, the one who is amazing everyone, the one who is taking God's credit for, for, for this great power of God at work in his life, Simon was so amazed at the work of God and the great miracles that God allowed Philip to work, seeing the signs that God was doing through Philip, he wanted that same power. And the scripture says that Simon believed. Now Peter and John are sent out from the church in Jerusalem because they've heard, hey, there's some people and God is moving in Samaria. We need to go check this out. So Peter and John are sent out to find out about this new movement of God. They arrive. They see that these believers of Samaria, they are genuine. They love Jesus. They have surrendered their life to him. They've trusted him. And so they pray for them and the Holy Spirit shows up. Now that caused Simon to start asking some questions because he apparently is not was not a part of that, but he saw what happened. And he leads, it leads Simon to ask this question of Peter and John. He wanted to buy the power of God. He's like, could I give you some silver so that you would lay your hands on me and that I could receive this power for myself? And Peter says, dude, God's power is not for sale. It's not our power as if we can control who receives it when and where. Those who talk the talk, they were trying in, Cor in Corinth. At worst, they're faking their way through it. But even today, we find that still happens. There are those today that talk the talk or fake their way through it, deceiving others, charlatans. Bill Johnson is one of them. Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, Creflo Dollar. Need I go on? I'll offend some of you if I keep going. There's a host of others who act like this guy Simon while filling their pockets. 
or even those that are Paul, Paul is talking about in Corinth. Paul was going to come. Is it all talk? Is it a show? Or is it the power of God? Because God's kingdom, God's kingdom does not exist in talk, but in power. Third thing we need to remember, it's God's power, it's not our power, is that God is always at work. His power at work in the believer. This is where it starts for us. He works through the gospel. God's power works through the gospel. We see that with Philip as he's preaching the gospel. We see it in other places in the story of Acts, the early church, as the apostles are going out preaching the gospel. He works, God works through the gospel. Perhaps it's better to say that he first works in us through the gospel. Paul knew firsthand of that life-transforming power of God through Jesus Christ. Listen, you're not born into the church. We are not born as Christians because our mommies and daddies and grammies and grampies, we're all Christians. It doesn't work that way. We don't inherit eternal life. And friend, you can't get baptized into the kingdom of God either. We don't inherit eternal life from our families. How then does it happen? It happens when God works, calls you unto himself for salvation, you repent of your sin, surrender your life to Christ, and that life change happens in your heart. We are powerless to deal with our sin. We are powerless to correct our own standing before God. And if we're going to experience the power of God, we need to remember we are powerless, then it must come from the outside in to change us from the inside out. Alistair Begg said it this way, being made alive spiritually, it must happen as a result of a power outside of ourselves. I cannot save myself. That power to change my life does not come from me or my own self-perception of myself or my own self-esteem. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2. You were dead in, your sin, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Listen, we were all together in this, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This happens now as a result of the gospel. For the scripture says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It works through the gospel. He works through his gospel. And so Paul picks up in Ephesians chapter 2, but God, being rich in mercy, that's where his power, the first taste of God's power, friends, is his grace and his mercy. How amazing is that? Being rich in mercy because of the great love which he, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It's not my power, it's his power. And he calls us today, he's still calling men and women, boys and girls who don't know Christ, who are lost and dead in their sin. He's still calling you into salvation. It's his power to make it happen. And it's the power of God that makes us a brand new creation, as Paul wrote to the, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That is the power of God. That's not the power of your pastor or your deacons or the church you attend. That's the very power of God in the gospel. And as a result, as he's working in us, Christ is our Lord, which means we submit to his lordship. 
his leadership. And his power then will work through us as we submit ourselves to him. So the question for you now is, are you submitting to Christ? These guys in Corinth that are causing divisions, maybe they're submitting themselves to Paul, maybe to Apollos. But I'll guarantee you, Paul would have said, don't submit yourself to me. Christ, we submit ourselves to Christ. He's the one that matters. And so, by God's power, you are placed into Christ. That's the gospel. And it is in his headship or lordship that you grow by his grace. This is now where we see the work of God at work in us as believers. It happens because he works through our weakness. He works through our weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the very famous little passage there in verses 9 and 10 where Paul talks about his thorn in the side, his thorn in the flesh, and how he had prayed for God to take that away from him. You know, maybe some of that prayer was, oh, Lord, I'll, just, I'll, be, I'll be more effective for you. I'll be more powerful for you if you just take that away from me. I don't have to deal with it anymore. I can focus everything. And here's what God said. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, Paul says, all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Boy, that is absolutely different than what we hear from the world. Hide your weakness. Don't let anybody see it. Don't let it be shown. Don't let it be known because the world is vicious. They'll find it. They'll use it against you, chew you up, spit you out onto the next Yehu that comes through the office. But that is not the way of Christ. Christ calls us to meekness which is really living in that weakness so that his power can be shown. The gospel, listen, friends, the gospel does not confirm or promise riches, wealth, or health, but the gospel assured Paul then and us today that in our weakness, God's strength is on display. His power is displayed. Paul's painful situation, whatever it would be, it's not the point of that story. We could chase that rabbit and get it lost. It's not the point. The point is God's power, God's grace is sufficient for you. He works through our weaknesses. It's not about what pronouns we might use to identify ourselves or however we might identify ourselves these days or how much theology we know or what books we've read or who we're listening to. That's what the Corinthians were doing. And they had divisions and factions. He works through our weakness. Third, he works by giving us everything we need for life and godliness. Let me interject a little Apostle Peter now for you. His second letter, he writes in verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. I love what Jared Wilson wrote in a little book entitled Supernatural Power for Everyday People. He wrote, craving more and more extravagant evidences of the Spirit is an easy way to demonstrate our lack of satisfaction with the gospel of Jesus. No work of the Spirit, in fact, can be as big or as glorious as the work of converting our hearts to Jesus. Friends, you don't need more miracles. You need Jesus. That's all you need. 
What you find in scripture is that the miracles come and go, but the greatest of all is that the presence and power of God is real in and through the Holy Spirit, which indwells each of us as, his, as believers, which is constant, consistent, and consuming. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness in the gospel and in his son, Jesus Christ. And the way we dive deeper into that is by spending time with him in prayer and submitting to the lordship of Christ. So what boils down to this morning is a simple question. Are you in Christ first and is Christ growing in you? We can look to programs, leaders, better ministry machinery, new organizations, but what is needed once we are in Christ is men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use. And if you want to be someone God can use for his glory, then you need to be praying. For God does not anoint programs, he anoints people. And he does so when we pray. But pastor... Prayer seems so simple at times. It seems sometimes I'm just going through the motions. It's the last thing on my plate for the day. last thing I can think about is prayer. I can't be quiet. I can't concentrate. I can't focus. I don't know what to say. Do you remember Mr. Miyagi? He instructed Daniel... To wax the cars. What did he say? Very good. How about the next one? Paint the fence. Up, down. Paint the house. Side to side, right? Side to side. Sand the floor. Remember that one? Daniel, at one point, he gets tired. You remember the story? His muscles are sore, his, his joints are hurting, he's wondering what he's been doing, why is he doing all this work for Mr. Miyagi when he's supposed to be learning karate, that was part of the deal. Mr. Miyagi then, in the, I think he's in the backyard if I remember right, asked Daniel to repeat the things he had been doing. Daniel does so kind of half-heartedly until Mr. Miyagi spars with him and starts throwing some punches. And suddenly Daniel figured out that it was wax on wax off was going to protect him. He had been learning karate all along. Those daily, that daily labor actually prepared him for defending himself against attack. The spiritual, spiritual disciplines are like that. Prayer might feel like it's routine, but when you get into scripture and you see that the kingdom of God consists in power Suddenly you remember that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And those daily routine things suddenly become the most important. Don't think prayer is routine. We have to keep praying. We have to plug in into the power of God for the ministry of this church, for his glory, and for our good. Let's pray together.